for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, what a privilege to be with you. Uh, as Graham said, my name's Martin. Uh, I live in Canterbury. I've lived there for, uh, I moved there for university in 2003, and I've been there ever since. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful lady called, called Catherine, and we've got two daughters. Annabeth is four, and uh, Millie is two. We just found out recently which school Annabeth will be going to uh, in September, which thankfully is a local school around the corner from us, so we're very grateful for that. Uh, I just want to say, before I open the scriptures to you, there's my wonderful family. That was us at the pantomime. We weren't just dressed like that for fun, or they were, they were Tinkerbell because it was Peter Pan at the Canterbury Pante uh, at Christmas time. But I just want to share, before I open the scriptures, just during the worship time, I felt the Lord uh, speak to me for you as a family, uh, which was mainly this. I feel like God would want to speak over you and remind you of his love and favour for you as a people. As you were worshipping, as we were worshipping together this morning, I just felt God would want to scream and shout his words of affection and affirmation and approval over you. I, you know, I've known Graham for, for a long time. I had the joy of many years ago leading a youth work at City Church in Canterbury, and at New Day, Graham came with the three young people that were part of the church at the time. So to see them sat in their massive group over there and watch them go out, such an encouragement to my heart as well. And I just thought God would want to say to you, remember that I am for you. I am for you. I I believe the Lord wants to stir faith in you this morning. And so this morning I'm going to be speaking on a topic called Breakthrough Faith. Um, I don't know about you, but personally in my own life, there's many areas in my life that I long to see God break in and change. Personally, in things in my own life, in my character that I look at and I think, oh, I wish I wasn't quite like that. I'd love to see change in that way. In my family's life, my daughter Millie, when she was born, there were lots of complications with the pregnancy. Uh, and she was uh, in intensive care for, t- for 10 days. After 24 hours of being with us, she had to have something called an exchange transfusion, which is where they remove 80% of her blood and replace it. And we've been living for the last two years with a desire to see God break through and really heal her from those things. She's just kind of been under the doctor's care for those two years to watch. And uh, about a month ago, she had uh, a development checkup with the doctor, and they're really pleased with how she's doing. And next month, she's got her kind of final checkup with the hospital, which we're really praying that that will be the end of this season and that she'll really be released into full health and into what God's got for her. We all live, don't we, with personal longings in our own hearts of seeing God change things happen. But also corporately as a people, we have that as well. I know in Canterbury, we long to see God do more amongst us as a people. We have hearts and desires and dreams that we want to see God do. And I know that's true for you here at Gateway as well. There's many areas, aren't there, that you look at and you think it's really exciting but we know that there's more that we could have. There's areas that we're thinking, oh, if only God would break in and change and and do something in this area. And so this morning, what I want to do is address the role that we have to play when it comes to breakthrough. Because if you're anything like me, I find it of great encouragement that God is sovereign, (laughs) that God is in control and God is all-knowing, and that I'm not. I'm not in control. I'm not all-powerful. Sometimes I find that quite difficult because I like to be in control. But usually when I stop and think about it, I think I'm so grateful, Jesus, that my life and my family's life and my church's life and just the world works to your plan and not mine. (laughs) Because if it worked to my plan, it would be a disaster. God is sovereign and all-powerful, and yet in the wisdom of God, we have a responsibility to be involved in the works and in the plans and in the moves of God. 
And so what I want to show you through a very famous passage, if you've been uh, around Christianity or if you've been to a wedding recently, you've probably had this passage read, which is in John chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, do uh, open them up with me. John chapter 2 is a very famous passage where Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana. We've probably all heard the miracle of him turning water into wine. We all long for that to happen in our homes sometimes and Jesus to, to work in the same way. But what I want to do is I want to read this passage to you. But really, I want to laser in on focusing on the role that the servants play in this story. Normally, if you've heard this passage preached uh, or spoken about before, it would be focusing in on Jesus, the great miracle maker, the one who turns water into wine. Or you may have heard it focused on Mary and her response to the challenge that comes. But this morning, I feel nudged by God to laser in on the role that the servants have to play. So before I read the passage, let's just pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much. Just for our time together this morning. We thank you that you are a God that is not distant or stingy, as we've heard this morning, but who is so close to us and so interested in each one of us and in us as a people. And Lord, we just pray as we open your word that you would come and speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Would you stir our hearts to walk into the things that you've got for us, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So let's read together John 2 verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first sign, this, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to look at three very simple points. I'm a very simple man, so my points are always very simple. That I see from this, that for us to take, if we want to be a people that see breakthrough, the part that we have to play in it. And that's this. Firstly, we need to be those who position ourselves to hear and obey God. Secondly, we need to be those who fill our jars to the brim. And thirdly, we need to be those who step up and step out into the things that God is calling us to. So let's start with this first point. Let's position ourselves to hear and obey God. I don't know if you're like me, but often I can fall into the trap when I read the Bible of turning the scriptures into almost a bit of an exercise book. I can read it kind of like I would have read a history book when I was at school, which was very little interest, very little passion, and uh, not really understanding the context or entering into the emotion of the story. But yet what we believe is that this is the true word of God and what is recorded in here, the narratives that you find, actually happened. And so this story isn't just an interesting story that someone made up. This is a true story of when Jesus was on this earth. And so let's try and enter into the context and the emotion of this passage. Okay, could you imagine today if you were at a wedding or if it was your wedding? Who's married here? Raise your hand. Great. I'm sure you can all remember, no matter how long ago your wedding day was, that wonderful day of when you got married. Could you imagine if at your wedding 
you ran out of wine. Could you imagine it? I, uh, my brother got married about 10 years ago, and uh, he's not a Christian. His friends aren't Christians. And should we say they enjoy a drink? And, uh, and it was a very special day, obviously really exciting. But his wife's family, they had quite a bit of money, and so they put a free bar on at the reception. Now, for my brother's friends, this is very exciting news, okay? It was like, it's not just drink at wedding, it's free drink at wedding, okay? So they were like very excited about it. And so as soon as the uh, kind of bar opened, no word of a lie, Within 15 minutes, all of the alcohol had gone. Because people had run to the bar. They were literally getting themselves six pints at a time, just for themselves, just in case it ran out. And they'd go and sit at the table there. That within 15 minutes, it had all gone. People were making the most bizarre cocktails of what was left there. It was quite a kind of, a kind of frantic moment as the wine was running out. Now, the picture in this passage isn't just that it was an inconvenience that the wine was running out. In these days, this was a huge deal for the people of God. If at your wedding you ran out of wine. And do you know why? Because wine was linked to the blessings of God. And so think about it for one moment. This married couple who have just entered into the most important decision that they could have made, starting new life together within however long, have not just run out of wine, but in the eyes of them and in the eyes of the people, have run out of the blessings of God. This is a really serious issue. And now put yourselves in the shoes of the servants in this story. I just love to imagine what's going on here. If you've ever gone out for dinner to a restaurant and the food that you've got either has come too late or it's come too cold or it's not what you ordered or there was something missing that you'd ordered, who's the person that gets the criticism It's not actually the chef. The chef gets to hide away in the kitchen. They don't have to come out and deal with the angry people. It's the waiters and the waitresses. It's it's the front of house that have to take the barrage of frustration that obviously wouldn't come from us because we're good Christian people, but from other people would come the anger that they face. I love this idea that in this moment, as the wine runs out, the servants are the ones that are facing criticism from every angle that you can imagine. So the master... If I was the master at this point, I'd be gathering all of the servants together and I'd be berating them about the amount of wine that they'd been pouring into each glass. Why don't you just hold some back? We would have had more. If you just put less into the glass, we could have had more wine for the rest of the wedding. But because of you, we've now run out. You can imagine the bride and groom pretty emotional as they're thinking, we've run out of wine, we've run out of God's blessings. Where's the wine? What have you done with the wine? As the servants are having to explain what's going on. And then the guests who everyone goes to a wedding expecting to be able to drink as much as they want to drink, that the guests suddenly are turning on the servants as well and shouting at them and trying to solve this problem. Now, it's in this context that we see the first principle of being a people of breakthrough is that we need to be those that position ourselves to hear God. It's often to be a people that hear God is not an easy thing. Actually, often it's a very difficult thing. But what you find in the Bible is that the first principle for the people of God is to be those that position ourselves that we will hear from him. Psalm 27 ends with wait on the Lord. I love that. Wait on the Lord. But often waiting isn't easy. For the servants in this moment and what they were facing, it wasn't easy (laughs) to wait on Jesus for an answer. In our culture today, it is not easy to wait on God. When we are facing difficulties and problems, the narrative of the culture that's coming to us is this. (coughs) Fix it. Solve it. 
you can handle it. That's the narrative of the culture that comes through. No matter what the problem is you're facing, search for the hero inside yourself and go and deal with the problem that you've got. And so it is incredibly countercultural and counterintuitive to be a people that position ourselves to hear God. See, the servants have many voices coming at them at this moment. And I'm sure they probably had many people shouting ideas of how they could solve this problem. And yet they had to try to get themselves into a place to hear God. I love Mary's words to the servants. She turns to them and she says uh, in verse 6, sorry, verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You've got to position yourself to be able to hear what God is telling you to do. Now, many of us, we, when we face challenges, when we face difficulties, we don't position ourselves to hear what God has to say. We don't wait for God to tell us what to do. We run into the problem and try and solve the problem. How many of us, if there are relational difficulties in our lives, don't seek God for wisdom on how best to address this problem, but instead we run in blunderbusses that we are to try and solve the problem, often making it worse. When there's financial difficulties, how many of us position ourselves in a place of prayer waiting to hear from God? Or how many of us are onto our online banking, getting out our spreadsheets and our Excels and trying to work out how we can solve the problems that we're facing? To be a people that see breakthrough, we need to be those that first and foremost slow down, wait and listen. But it's not natural. It's not easy. In fact, it's difficult. But what I love in this passage is what we see is that as we do that, we should be those that are expectant that God will speak. Even this morning, what wonderful encouragements we've had together as God has spoken to us to encourage us. That's what Jesus did here. It wasn't Mary said, do whatever he tells you, and Jesus just stood there silently. That's often what we think will happen when we're waiting for God to speak. We're waiting, but he's not speaking to me. See here, Jesus was quick to share how to solve the problem. Even though his answer to Mary when she said there was a problem was, woman, what has this got to do with me? My time hasn't yet come. For Jesus, he knew his call to walk into the ministry that the father had for him hadn't quite come yet. So Jesus wasn't being rude to his mother here. That term, woman, was an honouring term in those days. That was a a way to speak to your elder women around you, was a way to speak to them with honour and respect, was to say, woman, he's not being disrespectful in this moment, but he's being honest and saying, well... This hasn't really got anything to do with me. This isn't my time to deal with it. And yet Mary's response is, I hear that, great. Servants, come here, do whatever he tells you. It kind of makes no sense. You imagine the servants, but did you not hear what he had to... He, he just said he doesn't really want anything to do with this. This isn't his problem. But you're telling us to, to wait and listen and hear what he has to say. This could go horribly wrong. Often, positioning ourselves in a way that we need to hear from God will feel uncomfortable. We will feel the pressure of what's going on around us. But we need to be those that fight to hear God's voice. How are we doing on this? How are we doing on this? Not just when we gather together as God's people. I think in our church, we are a people that God has really grown in us over this last season. An expectation that when we gather together, we will hear him. But I don't think what we have fully started to walk into is that we can be just as expectant on Monday morning on our commute to work, when we are in work, when we are doing the things that we're doing. Everyone's like, the Lord's speaking to us through the lights. There's this, we should be expecting that God's going to speak to us in every moment of every day. And yet what we see in the scriptures is that just hearing from God isn't enough. James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So we need to be those that understand when we are positioning ourselves to hear from God, it's not just enough to say, okay, great, thanks for that. But we need to be those that then obey what God is calling us to do. If I was one of the servants in this story, 
and I'm there, and I've run out of wine at the wedding, and I'm getting kind of criticism left, right, and center, I would naturally jump into problem-solving mode. I, I love problem-solving. I'm very passionate about problem-solving. I actually enjoy problem-solving. You've got problems, bring them to me. I'll try and solve them for you. Whether I get it right or not is another story, but I enjoy the, the process anyway. So if I was one of the servants in this moment, and there's kind of chaos as the wines run out, and then M- Mary has a conversation with Jesus, which are kind of over here, and Jesus says, well, it's got nothing to do with me, and then she says, do whatever he tells you, I'd be saying, well, thanks for that advice. Helpful advice, but I've got another idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to gather the team together and we're going to solve this problem. One of us is going to go in that direction try and find the nearest supermarket. One of us is going to go in that direction try and see if in the barrels there's any wine left over. I'd be trying to create ways to solve the problem. Obedience actually is very anti-human nature. We are built into us a mindset that we can achieve and accomplish whatever we put our minds and our hearts to. Now, if you look at the narrative of humanity, that goes right back to the days of Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and Eve to be in perfect relationship with him in the Garden of Eden, what was it that created an opportunity for sin to come into the world? It was pride. It was the enemy coming to Eve and saying, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. You will be able to do the things that God does. You will not need God to be able to flourish and succeed. That narrative has flowed through humanity ever since, and that's what we live with. We all live with that mindset that we are, whether we'd, we'd never say it out loud, but almost like we are God. We can do what we want to do. So to position ourselves in a place of humility, to hear from God and then obey him, takes faith. We've got to be those that fight for it. And so what we see here is that actually with the servants, there's two battles going on for them. The first one is the battle of circumstance. Is our circumstance going to distract us from hearing the voice of God and obeying with all the chaos that's going on around them? And the second one is pride. Actually, am I going to allow myself to go to that place? Am I going to try and solve it my own way? Now, those two challenges are the two challenges that we face today. How many of us have such busy lives that we struggle to position ourselves to hear from God? How many of us in our our weeks fly by and before we know it, we think, oh my gosh, it's Saturday and I've not... I've literally not read my Bible all week. I've not really prayed. I've not really thought about God. It's not because we don't want to. It's just that life's kind of caught us up in this flow and we've ended up It's Sunday and we're coming in. Oh, yeah, I am a Christian. Oh, yeah, I do remember Jesus. And yeah, after the first time, we're like, yeah, God is good. And then by Monday, I've kind of forgotten again because he's so busy. That's the challenges that we face. Circumstance will try to fight against us being those that position ourselves to hear God. And so we've got to be those that fight against it. We've got to be those that fight to hear God's voice. We've got to be those that are deliberate in waking up and making God the first thing that we think of. I've got two young children. It is a battle to wake up before my children now. You know, I like early mornings to a degree. I don't like really, really early mornings. And in order for me to get a good significant time with Jesus before my children wake up, I would have to be waking up at like four o'clock in the morning, which... Some of you in the room, some super holy people may be able to do that. I can't do that. I would not function after 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd have to just give up on my day. So for me, I've had to think intentionally around how can I do that? In this season of life that I'm in, how can I position myself to hear and obey God? Now, I'm blessed to work for the church, so within my days I can do that. But I want to be someone who in my morning devotional life, I am able to get before the Father and seek him and obey him for the day he's got for me. Circumstance will try to fight it. We've got to be those that fight against. But also pride as well. We need to be those that remind ourselves on a daily basis that we are not God. We cannot solve the problems that we are facing. In fact, we are helpless ones. 
The world preaches to us independence is success. If you can just grow up and move, move away from your parents and buy a big house, and if you are able to provide for your family and you're able to buy anything that you want to buy because you've got the best job and all the money that you need, then you have succeeded in this life. Scripture teaches us dependence is success. The closer you are to the Father and the more reliant you are on the Father, the more successful you will be. Jesus was the most dependent one. Jesus says, it is my bread to do the will of the Father. I do nothing but what the Father tells me to do. That's what we should be aspiring to. That's what the servants were doing here. They were positioning themselves to hear God and obey God. But what I love is that the way that this story outworks is it's almost comical. Then what happens? So verse 5, Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. So the servants have positioned themselves to hear and obey God. They're kind of, there's no wine. People are really angry. There's big issues going on here. What is going to happen? I love the next verse where it says this. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. It feels like the most bizarre next verse to appear. Have you ever done that when you read the Bible? So often we just skim it. We're like, oh yeah, that's, oh, I, don't, don't know. I don't understand half of those words, but I'll just pretend I do. And then Jesus said, that's where we'll go to. I love the fact that next verse, listen, this is, it's really fascinating, this part of the story. So there's no wine. Right? We've all got that. That's the problem that they're facing. There's no wine. Mary says, do whatever this guy will tell you. He's going to solve your problems. The next verse says, there were six stone water jars for the rites of purification. Now, What does that mean? Well, basically, what it means is this. The way the Jewish religion works is that your external state represents your internal state. So, for example, before the Jewish people would come to temple and worship God, or before they would eat food, they would have to go through a cleansing, a purifying ritual. And so those jars were there basically for the Jewish people to wash themselves. So it's almost like this, okay, we're here today, let's say after this we're going to have tea and coffee uh, out in the cafeteria, everyone come out, we all head out there and there's no tea and coffee. We say, there's no tea and coffee, what should we do? And Graham says, don't worry everyone, there's some bathtubs over here. That's the kind of feel of this passage, it's almost like this makes no sense. Can I say this? Often when we position ourselves in a place to hear and obey God, the things God calls us to do will make no sense. You will often feel so out of your comfort zone when you follow Jesus into the adventure that he has for you. Why? Because he's God. His wisdom is not our wisdom. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we need to be those that humble ourselves and understand when God calls us into something, faith is, this in many ways makes no sense, but I'm so confident that God is calling me into it. Most of us operate like this when we're in our relationship with the Lord. God, I want to do something for you. I want to position myself to hear and obey you. And so what I need is basically from step one to step hundred very clearly laid out for me so I can see exactly the outcome of what's going to happen and then in faith I will follow you. If you make it perfectly clear where I will end up and how it will all play out and who will kind of come with me and who won't and the challenges that I'll face before I step out, then I'm with you. Until that moment, God, I'm just not sure if you're speaking. It's going to kind of wait a little while. I'll just pray. I'll keep hearing. I'll wait to hear. Listen, following Jesus so often, it will not make sense. Your friends and family, those that don't know the Lord, will not understand some of the things that you choose to do for Jesus. Because following God often, he's pointing them to jars that hold water. It doesn't make any sense. And then I love the fact in the Bible it says that not only were they jars for the rites of purification, but each one was holding 20 or 30 gallons. You think, what on earth? Why does that matter? Well, I think that's important for us to understand because this, when we are an obedient people, it will take hard work. 
20 or 30 gallons, 30 gallons is about 105 litres of water. That's a lot of water. And so what Jesus is saying to them is, okay, if you want to hear me and you want to obey me, here's what it's going to take. You need to fill these jars up with between 70 to 100 litres of water. That's not going to be a quick job. Those jars would have been too heavy to carry. And so what that means is the servants would have had to be running between wherever the water was with their kind of utensils to move the water and running it back over and filling it up and then running back over there. Remember, everyone knows that there's no wine and everyone's looking at the servants for the solution to no wine. And what they're seeing is the servants running, getting water and filling some jars up with water. Could you imagine if you were a guest at that wedding? You'd be like, no, listen, you've missed, you've missed, stop, you've missed heard us. We don't have any wine. We've got loads of water. We're fine for water. For, don't, we can just get it from there. You don't need to fill those jars up. It's just there. We don't need to wash ourselves again. We're pure. We've been through that process. It doesn't make any sense. And it takes hard work. So many of us, when we want to see breakthrough, we want it like that. God, I'm going to go to sleep now. And I just pray that when I wake up, you would have dealt with every problem in my life. Amen. How many of us? We probably wouldn't pray it like that, but that is the kind of heart we have, isn't it? I just, I'm so grateful, God, that you're in control, and while I'm sleeping, you do lots of things, and you never sleep, you never grow weary, and I'm really weary, so I'm going to rest now. But God, while I'm resting, it's almost like we're God, and God is our servant. It's often how we approach with him. We say, God, you know, my life, I, I know you know this, God, but I just want to remind you, my life is the most important life on this earth. And so I just want to remind you that I am perhaps the most important person on this earth. And so there's a couple of issues I'm facing. And really what I'm saying is this, God, if you could just come in and just, just solve this problem for me, I'll be able to do the rest. Don't worry, once you've done that, you can go and help whoever. But just deal with that thing and then I'll, I'll be great. That's, so also that's how we operate. Rather than understanding God is God. And we are but dust. And so our, our responsibility is to be those that, that follow God no matter whether it makes sense or not and no matter what, how much hard work it takes. If you genuinely want to see breakthrough in your life, I promise you, there will be blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. In prayer, in time, in energy, in resources, there's times that you'll have to give in ways you never imagined you would be able to give, believing that God will provide in ways that you could never imagine he would provide. That's what faith is. The servants are modelling it here so wonderfully for us. And so I love this. In verse 7, it says, Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So again, we're like, okay, so you pointed out these bathtubs for us, and now you're telling us to fill them with water. Again, makes no sense. Where's the wine, Jesus? That's what we're looking for here, just to remind you. Okay, I'm happy to follow you, but just to make sure you completely understood the problem today, it is that, not that the jars don't have water in them. No one cares about that. People are sad because there's no wine. Are we, are we on the, yeah, okay, right, okay, just making sure, Jesus, that's fine. So he says, fill them with water. And here's the bit I love, verse 7. And they filled them up to the brim. To the brim. If I was one of these servants... I think every bit of water I put in, I bet, is that enough, Jesus? No, okay, okay, I'll go back a little bit more. Oh, it's really hot here, kind of done. Is that, no, no okay, a bit more. Kind of, you know, I would do it with such grumbling and kind of with such a rubbish attitude. But what I love is Jesus says, fill it with water, so they fill it to the brim. Again, that's faith, is that when you follow Jesus, it is about being all in for Jesus. We cannot be a people that think we will see God break through in miraculous ways in our own lives and in our lives as a church family if actually we're willing to just put a little bit in. 
God, I want you to put everything in. You sent your son to the cross. Jesus was willing to go to the point of death for me. But what I'll do for you is I'll give you kind of half of my day. If that, I'll give you five minutes in the morning. I'll, I'll give you that one quick prayer I pray before I'm going into that really hard meeting or that difficult thing I'm facing. Listen, the servants here are modelling to us, if we want to see breakthrough, the faith that we need for that is that we need to be all in for Jesus. So when Jesus calls you into something, you don't go half-heartedly into it. You go completely and utterly headfirst into it, believing that he will make a way for you to succeed in whatever he's calling you into. The servants must have throughout that entire time had people been like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You've stopped everything. You know, the bride's probably like crying, like, you're idiots. This isn't going to solve the problem. And yet they are with faith filling their jars to the brim. How are we doing on this? Are we a people that are confident that when God calls us, God will use us? Or are we a people that discount ourselves when God speaks? We position ourselves to hear and obey God, but everything we hear God say, we just think, ah, oh, I'm not sure I'm able to do that. I'd, love to, I'd really love to have the boldness to walk into this Jesus, but I'm just not, I'm not sure how it's going to go. I'm, I'm fearful. I don't think I'm gifted in this way. How many of us so quickly discount ourselves from the things God is calling us to? The servants could very easily have gone, well, we're out. <laughs> we were ready to listen to you, but you're telling us to do so. Uh, we're out. Look, we're going we're gonna to jump on the donkeys and we're going to head to the nearest Asda and get some wine. You know, we'll be a while, but we'll be back soon. That's, you know, but they were, they were completely in to the point where they filled their jars to the brim. Don't hold back. Can I encourage you? I really feel like this for you as a church. I think you know, just having a coffee with Graham before the service and just hearing the journey that you're on, I think the Lord would want you to know that this isn't the end of your journey. There is so much more that the Lord has for you. But in order for you to fully walk into those things, you're going to have to be all in. Yeah. It's going to mean discomfort. It's going to mean ridicule. It's going to be misunderstood. It's going to mean hard work and graft and challenge. But I believe that if we are those that say, God, we're all in, God is completely and utterly committed to us. And so we can never outgive God. We will never be more devoted to God than he is more devoted to us. He is the one that was willing to, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is so committed and devoted to us. So let's be a people that are all in for Jesus. To be those of breakthrough faith means we need to fully trust Jesus and fully follow Jesus. But then the story continues and it's... It goes from one degree of hilarity to the next, shall we say. So they filled their jars to the brim. Now we're into verse 8. And it says, And he said to them, Jesus, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now I love, I love this picture. So they're like, you know, they're exhausted by now. The servants must be like, you know, this is in the Middle East. The sun's beating down. It's super hot. They've been running water from there to there. They've filled it to the brim. They're like, whoa! We've done it now. This is Jesus' moment. I wonder, what is he going to do to kind of make wine come? You can imagine them. We're kind of fully committed to this thing. We're really expecting he's going to do something amazing. And then they're like, so we've done it, Jesus. What do we do? And he says, okay, now take some out, take it to the master. Now, I love the idea that that's still water at this moment. And so they're like, I'm sorry. Could, could you just say that again? Well, take that and to the master. He's like, yeah, yeah, just take some out, take it to the master. And they're like, well, everyone's like stepping back. And there's that one servant that's a bit slow who's been volunteered by his friends to do it. So they're like, oh. So they scoop out this water. <laughs> and, it, and it says, so they took it. So they're like literally carrying water over to the master that needs wine. And they're kind of like, it's, this, this is what you want me to do, yeah? And he's like, yeah, yeah, keep going. They're like, 
okay. Getting cl- look, just, just, just one more time. Just, you don't want to do anything with this. Should we taste it first to see? Because it still looks like water to me, but maybe it takes... No, no, just taking it. Okay. The, again, this picture is, is, is comical in terms of in this moment of the servants pulling out, as far as we know, is water and taking it to the master. Can I say this? When God calls you into something, when you've positioned yourself to hear and obey him, and you are fully in, there will be many moments where you feel like what you're bringing to the table is water where people need wine. You will feel... (laughs) I genuinely feel like I'm praying on a daily basis at the moment. God, I have no idea what I'm going to say in this next meeting. Like, I genuinely... I have no idea what I'm meant to do in this context. Pastoral challenges, big questions around church future, where we're heading, even parenting. I genuinely feel sometimes like I'm bringing water where wine is needed. And I think there is a purpose why this is in there, and it's important for us to understand if we genuinely want to be a people of breakthrough faith, is firstly, we need to recognise our inabilities. We need to recognise our inabilities. The Bible is, is wonderfully, brutally honest about the flaws of every human being that appears in this book apart from Jesus Christ. Every other hero of the faith that you will encounter in the scriptures or in church history will have done great things for God, but will also have made incredible blunders and have huge weaknesses and flaws. One of my heroes is, is David. I love the story of David in the Bible in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. He's such a, an amazing man of God. God speaks of him and he says that he is a man after my own heart. That is That is the legacy that David leaves. That's how God speaks about him, even after he's died. And yet David is a guy who committed adultery. David is a guy who killed, had the husband of the woman that he slept with murdered so that he could get away with what he did. David was not perfect in any way, shape or form. He had weaknesses and inabilities. And so often we live in a culture, again, the narrative of our culture is pretend you don't have any weaknesses. You know you do, but just don't show them anywhere. And so what happens is when we live in that culture is we begin to believe that narrative. I don't have any weaknesses yet. I can solve any problem. I can handle this issue. I can turn water into I can deal with the problem that is in front of me. What I love here is that this story is painting to us a helpless situation for the servants. There is no way they could solve the problem that is, is in front of them unless Jesus intervenes. That's what God wants to communicate to us. Any problem that you're facing, the answer is not you. I'm sure you're amazing people, and I'm sure you have many gifts and talents, but I'm also sure that you will not be the answer to every problem. I remember preparing for uh, a couple's wedding a few years ago, and I was just uh, I was speaking at the wedding, so I was preparing the address, and I was doing it from Ephesians, and it talks about, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for her. So that, and it, there's a line where it says, so he is the saviour of the church. And I remember God just saying, stop there, read that again, Martin. So right again, he says, who does it say is the saviour of the church? Does it say Martin. And I was like, no, <laughs> says Jesus. And I'd fallen into the trap that kind of the hope of City Church was kind of landing on my shoulders in the transition effort that was going on for us. I was like the answer to every problem that the City Church would ever face. And I felt God say, stop being so silly. It's not you. You, you are a tool in my hands. I'll use you. I love you. You're a child. You're very cherished. But you are not the answer to the problem. I am. And that's what we see. Jesus, in this story, is pointing to us our inability. We will so often feel like we're bringing water to the table where they want wine. And can I say that is because we are. What we offer is water. But it's also pointing us to his ability. 
He's the one that turned the water into wine. And so he's the one that as we step out in faith, as we follow Christ into the things he's calling us to, we can believe that the water that we're bringing to the table, God will turn into whatever it needs to be turned into to provide breakthrough in the areas. So what that means is there's some of you here who you are, you are trying to work out what God's calling you into. There's opportunities that may be opening up. There may be uh, options for you as a church body in terms of what God's calling you to do. And you're looking and you're, you're thinking, okay, I can kind of see where God might be leading us. But I can also see the resources that I've got or we've got. And I'm thinking, they don't match up. Those are the moments where you say, okay, well, we'll take the water to the master. And all we're doing is bringing water, but we're trusting God will change it. And then it carries on in the story. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. So there seems to be a, a moment of breakthrough. I like to believe between the servant taking the water out of whatever those jars that it was in, walking it over to the master, passing it to the master, and the master lifting it to his mouth. Sometime in that window, the water suddenly becomes wine. Often it's, we will only see breakthrough when we put ourselves in that kind of position where it is sink or swim. You know, you've, you've kind of stepped out. Unless, unless God provides something here, I'm just going to fall flat on my face in this moment. That's when we see breakthrough. That's what we see here is they've brought it to the master. Can I encourage you? Following Jesus is uncomfortable, but it is such an adventure. And when God uses you in ways that you would never imagine he would, there is such a joy in your heart as you see that. And so we want to be those that put ourselves in uncomfortable positions so that we can see God use us to bless and to shape. And so God turns the water into wine. And then we, I just want to make one more point. It says this. The master, this is verse 9. The master did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. You made the point in your testimony about we need to redefine success. I love what scripture is teaching us here about success. Because in my kind of earthly, proud mindset, I would be thinking the pinnacle of the story would be this. I'm the servant. I've been so obedient to Jesus. I've positioned myself to hear him despite all the challenges. I've worked so hard for him. In faith, I've taken out the water. I've walked it to the master. The master tastes the water, now become wine. And he says, Martin, you are the greatest servant that has ever worked to the wedding before. We are so blessed to have you here. The hard work and effort you put in has not gone unnoticed. And I'm going to make an announcement to everybody here about how incredible you and your servant friends are. Everybody, gather around and let me tell you about Martin. That's how I would imagine the story should go, that the servants should get praise of some kind. And yet what we find is that the servants get no acknowledgement for what they did. It says he tastes the wine and he doesn't know where it's come from. So what was successful in brackets, it says, though the servants who had drawn water knew. Success for us is getting to see God work and move in the lives of those around us, in the community around us, in our church family. Success for us should not be people saying, I just want to say, you did so brilliantly with the thing that you were carrying. Like, yes, I've been successful in that. The servants just stood back. You can imagine them with a little smile on their face as the master's like, where's this come from? Calling the bride and groom over and they're both like, we've got no idea what has happened and he's kind of praising them. They're getting the praise. He's saying, you're the, you're the greatest host of a wedding ever. Usually, people bring out the, the good stuff first, everyone gets a bit drunk and then we bring out the rest and they can't really tell. Whereas you've saved the best till the end. 
this doesn't make you guys are amazing. And the servants have stood there. And rather than interjecting and saying, excuse me, actually what you'll find is they're just there with smiles on their faces and I believe in their hearts as they understand that they've just been part of a work of God that has seen breakthrough in an area where there was no hope of breakthrough. That's success. Success isn't the praise of man. Success is this. On that day when we stand before Jesus, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That is success. And yet the world preaches to us 24-7 that success is about having the biggest reputation. Success is about having the most money and being known for having the most money, the Forbes top 100 richest people in the world list. Success is celebrity and people worshipping you wherever you go. Success is a massive house that as everyone drives by, they say, wow, look at that house. I'd love to have a house like that one day. That's what the world teaches us success is. And again, that subtly seeps into God's people. And we begin to think that success is, for example, is this. Getting to preach from the front and everyone listening. That's success. He must be successful. He must be so loved by God. The fact that he's able to do that. Listen, that's not how the kingdom of God works. The greatest shall be the least is what Jesus says in the kingdom of God. We won't be like the Gentiles who lord it over one another. But we'll be those who serve. Success here for breakthrough is just seeing God break through. And so if our hearts are seeking breakthrough for any reason other than for God's glory, I believe the Lord would want to realign our hearts to him afresh today. For us as a people, I thought God would really speak to me. For us as a city church, a few years ago, I was, I'm still young, I'm only 32, I'm learning lots as I, as I walk through life. And, and I, I think one of my biggest danger zones is pride. I think I can quite easily slip into pride. And God's worked very hard at continually keeping me humble by making me fail in many ways and publicly very often. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I preached a couple of uh, weeks ago on, uh, on the book of Philemon. And uh, in there, there's another person in there called, I called him Onesimus. And throughout the whole preach, everyone was giggling. Loads of people in the church were giggling. And I was like, why are they giggling? This is like a really powerful preach. I was really proud of it in terms of, you know, in a good way. Uh, in terms of like, yeah, it's about relationships being restored. And then afterwards, the number of people that came up to me to challenge me on the fact is Onesimus, not Onesimus. And you should, you should buy some kind of Bible that tells you how to pronounce names. And I was like, no! <laughs> Crushing my pride. There's many stories like that in my life of where I think I am by default proud. But what I love is that God spoke to me a few years ago uh, through, uh, through a quote by a guy who was leading a vineyard church in Coleraine in Northern Ireland. And it was this. He's talking about his church. He said, we don't strive to be the best church in the city, but we strive to be a church that is best for the city. Yeah. And that really impacted me. And I thought, am I giving my time and effort and energy to, although I would never have said it, to kind of try and create a church that everyone talks about. Oh, city church is just so amazing. It's just, oh, they're amazing. Oh, that Martin guy, he's incredible. Or am I trying to help be involved in lead a church that actually will point people to Jesus and will serve the lives of those in the community around us so that breakthrough comes and we will be known as a church that is best for the city? Go to the city church. They'll help you. They'll love you. They'll bring hope into your life. They'll encourage you. They'll strengthen you. They'll, they'll help you walk through the challenges that you're facing. Well, so go to the city church. There's a great show that you can enjoy on a Sunday morning. That's my biggest fear. And I want to encourage you. I've loved being here this morning. I love the family dynamic to you as a people. I think, Graham and Sue, you've modelled that for so many years and in so many ways. And I think you can see that here. But I would encourage you with all of my heart, what you have is too good to keep to yourselves. And our prayers for breakthrough should not just be about our internal needs of breakthrough, but they should be about the needs of the world around us. 
There are so many broken, hurting, lost people that need Jesus. That should be our focus. The servants' role here, actually, they didn't get to drink the wine. Think about that for a second. They wouldn't have got to drink the wine. They would have had to carry on with their jobs, sweating away. Now it's time to clear up, get washing, get doing whatever. They weren't the ones that got to benefit from the miracle in that way. And yet for them, just seeing that God had done what God had done. I love the idea of the servants. They grew older. They got their grandkids round, And they're telling them about this story. I remember that time when I saw Jesus perform a miracle and I got to have a part to play in it. That's the legacy we want, isn't it? Imagine as we come towards the end of our days, we're able to tell those around us of all the ways that God used us to bless and change and see breakthrough in people's lives. That's our longing, isn't it? That is our heart. And so that's what we see here, is to be a people of breakthrough faith. Let's be daily looking to position ourselves to hear and obey God, to fill our jars to the brim. When God speaks, we're all in, in what he's calling us to. And that we will step up and step out. We'll take the water where people need wine, believing that God will do a miracle. Should we stand together? What time do we um, need to finish? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. I'd just love to pray for us for a little while, but Graham can intervene if, we, uh, if, the, clock, if the clock ticks over. Can I say, in, encourage you to just close your eyes where you are? Um, this isn't because I believe Jesus only appears when we close our eyes. Because if you're anything like me, I get very easily distracted when my eyes are open, and I really want us to have a moment with the Lord here. So let's just close our eyes for one moment. I just want to give some time to silent reflection to begin with, as I've spoken a lot, I've said a lot of things, and just don't want to allow the Spirit of God to land whatever he wants to land on your heart through the Scripture and through the message this morning. So let's just give a moment for God to, to do that. I just feel the Lord would want to give a few words of encouragement to you. And then, I don't know, Chris, have you, you feel God speaking? Yeah, great, cool. Chris has got something as well. So we'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of prophetic ministry as well. Um, I felt God speak to me this morning for you about uh, there's a new season for you coming of raising your expectations of how God is going to use you. And it was linked to, um, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a little while ago, the Brownlee brothers, who are well known for being athletes that run very far and do lots of things, um, there was a, a race that they were doing recently and one of them just turned the, turned the final corner and ran towards the finish line and just suddenly kind of everything left him. He, he lost all energy, he couldn't run, he, he kind of lost himself, he started to kind of fall over and his brother came around the corner and instead of running past, his brother grabbed him, put his arm around him and carried him to the finish line so they could both finish together. His brother didn't win the race in the end because of that, came second because of that, sh- that sign of grace and, and bringing his brother in. I just felt that picture come into my head as God said he's going to raise your expectations. And I think what he means by that is this. Two things. First one is God is going to increase your opportunity as a church and as individuals to help carry others into the plans and purposes that God has for them. There's many needy people I think that God's going to bring into your midst whether that be corporately as a people or individually in your life, that God wants you to raise your expectations about how he's going to use you. Some of us immediately, we're discounting, oh, no, I can't do that for this reason or that reason. Listen, I believe God wants to stir your hearts for the broken. 
There is a heart for brokenness that God is going to increase more and more in you. But also I feel like that's going to be outworked amongst you as a community. That you're going to be a community that helps carry one another through difficulties. There's going to be many testimonies in the coming years of, I nearly gave up, but I didn't because the family, the church family, modelled God's love to me and carried me through difficulties. That means I'm able to stand here today. I feel like God's going to give you a commitment and a love for one another. So that's the first one. Raise your expectations in loving the broken and, and bringing them into fullness of life, but also in loving one another. The second one is that just uh, before the meeting, I was praying upstairs with Graham and Barney, and I looked out the window and I noticed across the road, literally opposite from where you meet, is a big pirate flag that was waving in the wind. And I felt God say to me that um, you are going to encounter some challenges and difficulties in this next season as you seek to break out into Ashford and beyond for Jesus you're going to encounter some pushback. The enemy doesn't like it when we start to do those things. And I just reminded in, I think it's John 15, Jesus says, um, you will, in this world you will face many trials, but be at peace because I have overcome the world. Yeah. And I feel like God would want to say to you, firstly, get ready. Get ready for challenge. Get ready for pushback. Get ready for being misunderstood by the community as you seek to show grace and love. But also, get into a place where you've got the faith of Jesus' victory in you. That you can overcome. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So I believe the Lord would want to just lift your, your faith again today that almost the reason that you're going to face greater challenge is because God is going to lead you into a new season of greater breakthrough. And that his power is going to begin to break into communities and areas and people groups in ways that you've not even imagined about yet. Your prayer meetings that you have, you haven't even prayed these prayers yet. And yet God has plans of how he's going to work through you. And so I just want to pray those things over you and then I'm going to invite Christy to come and share. Father, I just ask right now for a gift of faith over these dear brothers and sisters, Lord. We celebrate your grace at work in this church, Lord God. We thank you for their story of adventure with you and of years of trusting you and following you, and of your breakthrough in different areas and in different ways, Lord God. And I just ask, Lord God, right now for fresh faith, for this fresh season to come upon them. Lord God, that there would be a culture amongst this church of being like the servants, those who hear and obey, those who fill to the brim, and those who step up and step out. Boldness to come, I pray, Lord God. And I do ask for new opportunities, new doors to open, and a new grace on them in your name. Because you want to share? Okay. Yeah, just this morning, um, just the first thing about the love of God and just how Jesus Christ loves Gateway Church. And then just another thing of just, I think there's many of us here where we feel like the wine has run out. And I really sense that God wants us to let the servants of God minister to us. Okay, and then I have two stories from the Word of God. The one is of the woman who is found in adultery, and there's all the accusers, and they have stones in their hands, and they want to throw them at her, and Jesus is there, and he stills the accusers, and the accusers depart. And then there's another story of the woman with the issue of blood. And many times in our lives, we have issues in our lives, And we think, I don't know if I can bring this out into the public. I don't know if I can deal with this. Um, I'm going to be embarrassed. But the woman with the issue of blood, she thought she would just touch the garment of Jesus. But what happened? Jesus made it a public thing because she was healed. 
she was healed. And Jesus always, always brings us dignity. And they're going back to the love of God because Jesus Christ loves Gateway Church. I just want to encourage you this morning. The reason why I mentioned about the woman that was caught in adultery first. Because Jesus stalled the accusers' voices. And in our lives, with his sin, with his disobedience, with his unforgiveness, or whatever, Jesus will still the accuser. But it's up to us to grab a hold of his garment and not to be proud or to think, what are people going to think of me? Because Jesus will still the accuser's voices. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray one final prayer and then I'll... Leave that there, you probably want that, do you? Uh, <clears throat> why don't you just hold your hands out as if you're expectant to receive a gift from the Father? Lord, whatever you've been speaking specifically to each one of us about, Lord, I pray for faith to follow, I pray for patience to trust, and God, I pray for grace to be able to enjoy the journey, Lord, that we wouldn't get so caught up in the destination of where we're heading that we lose sight of the lessons you're teaching us as we are filling our jars to the brim, as we are positioning ourselves to hear, as we are making those first steps of obedience. I just pray, God, for grace over each one of us here. Lord God, I pray for the children and the youth in this church. Lord God, I pray that you would raise many mighty oaks. Lord God, that would go far greater than we will do. Lord God, that they will continue to run more and more into the plans and the purposes that you have for them, Lord. I pray for family units. I pray for friendships in this church. I pray for for the workplaces that are represented, the neighbourhoods that are represented. God, we pray for breakthrough. I pray, Lord Jesus, that there would be testimonies in the coming days of breakthrough, Lord God, of, of opportunities to share the gospel, of opportunities to pray for the sick, of opportunities to forgive, of opportunities to confess, of opportunities to see dignity restored, of opportunities to see change come where change is needed. And so, God, I pray, give us faith to trust you and follow you, I ask, in your wonderful name. Amen.